Let's turn in the scriptures to Revelation <clears throat> chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. I know Bobby slept good last night. I think he slept 12 hours. That's what happens when you skip a night's sleep on Friday night. But uh, I trust you. I trust you got to bed at a decent hour and you're really ready for Sunday school and church today. It's kind of hard to really be ready for Sunday school and church when you stay up real late and eat a bunch of junk food and then sleep in late and then grab a donut and a coffee on the way in. I tell people, if you're going to do that, just be honest and just bring a pillow and a sleeping bag and lay down because that's what you're going to do anyway. You're going to sleep, so just go ahead and don't be a hypocrite. Just sprawl out. Brother Hoyle, not right now. Just <laughs> no, right now. Go ahead, go ahead brother. <laughs> All right. Good. Did you bring the pillow that was upstairs that I left? Thanks, brother. Okay, <laughs> it does. That's, that's my pillow. That's right. That's my pillow. I I need to tell Brother Spurgeon not to go get that now because I asked him to bring it. Yes, my that makes me think of the time someone said to my dad, you need to get in touch with your feminine side. And he said, I don't have one. <laughs> and all God's men said, amen. <laughs> there ain't one. In Revelation 4.11, we see what is sung in heaven. And what we'll be crying out in heaven one day as well, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure. That's from the same Greek word as the word will often in the New Testament. Not every time, but oftentimes the word will is pleasure. God's will is God's pleasure. What is his will? It's his pleasure. What is his pleasure? It's his will. How do you know God's will? That's well, right here. This is God's will. This book. It's revealed to us. For thy pleasure, they are and were created. So this is God's will spelled out for us, and we have to take this and apply it to all of life. If we apply all of the scripture that applies to us to all of life, then we are in the perfect will of God. And we don't have to look for signs, wonders, visions feelings, and all of that. We just keep applying Scripture, living by every word of God. Everything is made for God's pleasure. We mess up when we start thinking it's all for our pleasure. Now, all of God's pleasure that's revealed to us is for His glory and for our good. How often? Always. Right. So, God's will is revealed here, and all of this is for God's pleasure and for our good always. If we don't settle that, then what we've got is a very rocky road for a long time. God's way is the best way. It's the only way. The other way is, some preachers say it's God's way or the highway. You could say it's God's way or the hell way. It's just hell. It's God's pleasure. So you think of tithing. Tithing, it can hurt sometimes, temporarily. But it's for our good. It's for our good. What pastors have to say to us sometimes hurts. If it's biblical, it may hurt. It will not harm. Is there a difference in hurting and harming? Yes. My dad was hurt by a doctor a couple years ago when they sliced a 
a great big section of him, and they did some things to his heart. It hurt really bad, but it helped him. It did not harm him. It actually kept him alive potentially many more years. And so what hurts doesn't necessarily harm. And so everything is for God's pleasure. If we just settle that, God's way, God's will is for his pleasure, and it's for our good always. It's just that simple. God had Israel eat this manna, and they would get tired of it, but it was actually for their good. It sustained them. God had them do things they could not at the time understand. Why does this even matter? Why does this even matter? And we know now with modern science and microscopes and research, God was keeping them from being devoured by all kinds of diseases in their camp of about 2 million people. Where they were probably thinking, some of them, well, the Lord said do it, so we'll do it. It's for our good always, so I guess it's for our good, but I sure don't understand it. What do you think of that? It's true, isn't it? And he had all kinds of practical living, practical separation everywhere in their life that at the time might have seemed odd to them. And you know, what's the big deal about plowing with a, a camel and a donkey or, or wearing clothes that have linen and woolen and so forth? But God had all this to continually remind them they were a separated people. And we, looking back now, can see that it makes perfect sense to us. It's for God's pleasure, and everything is for the good of his people. So it's for his will, for his glory and honor. And he's laid down certain laws. And these are unalterable laws. We sometimes think, well, I can go against them. I have free will. But, but you're not going to get away with it. You're going to go against them to your own destruction. Pride goeth before destruction. And pride is just when we know God's way and we go our way, we're proud. We don't have to be, I'm going my way. We have this thinking about a proud person has a certain look. They look down their nose and maybe they talk. So don't you know who I am? You can actually act like a super humble person outwardly and be proud. You know, Mother Teresa, she would be universally acclaimed as a humble person. She was proud. She didn't submit to the Bible. She didn't submit to the Christ of the Bible. She submitted to the Pope of Rome. That's pride. Amen? So you can have an aura of humility and yet be proud. Pride goeth before destruction. God set the government up. He set the home up. He set church up. He's laid down certain laws. You go against them to your own peril. That's for everybody. That's for fathers, mothers, children. That's for husbands, wives, for pastors, church members. As a pastor, if I don't give myself to prayer and study of the Word of God, I am proud and I am hurting the church of God. And the Bible says, him shall God destroy. If any man defile the temple, which temple ye are, that's the church at Corinth. As 1 Corinthians is written to the church of God, which is at Corinth. Amen? So if I, as a pastor, don't pastor biblically, then I'm defiling God's house, and I'm doing so to my own destruction. But I might come up with a better way. I might read a book that tells me a better way to, quote, get it done. It's not faith. It's not humility that's proud. As a church member, if church members say, well, I know what the Bible says about regarding pastors and being faithful and being separated and all, but... In this respect, you know, I just disagree with it all, and, and I'm going this direction. Well, then you're defiling the temple. And pride goeth before, because the church is for his glory. Unto him be glory in the church. It's not unto the pastor or unto the members. A lot of churches today, they're running, really the children are running the church, because the number one question on everything is, what about the kids? What about the kids? What about the teens? And that's disorderly. It's what about the Lord? 
A lot of churches, visitors run the church because the question continues, what about visitors? What about visitors? What about visitors? What about the Lord? It's for His pleasure. And if we do it His way, then it's for our good always. Is this a principle everywhere in the Scriptures? Adam and Eve, don't eat this. If you, you know, don't eat this. It's bad for you. Well, it looks good to us. It looks good to us. It sounds good to us. And they didn't agree with God. They accepted the lie of the devil that they were, I would say, getting ripped off. God's ripping them off. He's withholding something that would open their eyes and make them like God's. God's not fair. So we have to realize God gets the glory. It's for our good always. And God, this is a fundamental truth we have to get and believe and apply. God is good. God is good. And God gives what kind of gifts? Good gifts. So can everybody follow this? Everything's made for God's pleasure, for His glory. Everything He gives us about His pleasure and will, it's for our good. And the God who's laying down these unalterable laws, He's a good God, and He gives good gifts. So the way the church is arranged, it's good. It's good for us. It's the very best for us. The way He's established the home is the very best way. There is not another way. There's not a better way. It's impossible to come up with a better way. And so if you go against God's created order, then we're disobeying God and we're assaulting His glory and we're cutting our own self. We're hurting our own self. We are afflicting our own selves. Now, what do you think when you see someone that is literally beating their head against a wall? Have you ever seen someone doing that? They have a problem. They have mental problems, right? They have brain problems. They have some type of disease and they're beating their head against a wall, and we say they're going to kill themselves. And people have killed themselves doing that. We say that's, that's crazy. That's crazy. That's outlandish. What do you think when you see uh, that two men are getting married? Well, that's crazy. That's an abomination. Would, would we use the word freakish? Yeah. Would we read Romans 1 and see people that are doing these things as freakish? Well, what's wrong about it? I mean, what's the big deal? Well, you take it back to everything's created for God's glory, and that's against God's created order. Is that right? Um, fornication. It goes against God's created order. God's order is one man, one woman, till death us do part. Amen? So anything outside of this, it's freakish, against God's order. It's sickening. It's wicked. It's disgusting. Even if it's just flirting, quote, unquote, emotional attachments, all that type of stuff, that's terrible. It's against God's order. And a church where the deacons run the church, that's freakish and weird and against God's order. There's deacons in churches where they run the church and they run the pastors in and out, and, and they would all shout amen if you said that uh, men marrying men is freakish and abnormal and, and abominable. But that's also an abominable thing because the Lord's church doesn't operate that way. To do it a different way is, is terrible. A man who who grows out his hair long, puts on a skirt. And by the way, it's an interesting thing. I was knocking on doors in Brunswick once with a young guy, knocked on the door, and this young, very modest, what appeared to be a very modest, young, very feminine, appeared to be a woman, answered the door, and uh, at first glance, but then, and then, oh, we both realized, especially when they began to speak, this is not a woman, this is a man pretending to be a woman. There's no such thing as became a woman. It's pretending. And I said, 
I said, my name is Bobby Mitchell, and this is Ben. And I said, We're, we'd like to talk with you about being born again. Jesus said, you must be born again. Can we talk about that with you? Because I'd like to see them saved, wouldn't you? <clears throat> and you know what this person said? I was born right the first time. And I just thought, how ironic. That is, something's really off kilter here, you know. But it's interesting, brother, that every time I've talked with one of these folks, women that are pretending to be men, they cut their hair real short and they wear pants. And the men that are pretending to be women grow their hair long and they wear skirts and dresses. I mean, isn't that just something to think about? It's an abomination for a man to wear woman's clothes. It's an abomination for a woman to wear man's clothes. It's freakish and abnormal, really. Now, I know our country is trying to justify it and normalize it as a word that they use, but it's not. And they say they're living their truth, but you can't live more of a lie then. You've got the chromosomes you've got, and they ain't never changing. And now you're trying to pretend that you're something that at the very chromosome level, and meanwhile they scream at settled science about other things. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's sad, but it's against God's order. But these principles God lays down in Scripture about the church, government, home, and government, there's principles God lays down like, like women and children rolling over a people. That's a curse. And that's where we're living right now. We're in a cursed country. If the Bible's true, we're living in a cursed country because we've got children rolling over us and we have women rolling over us. And that's sad. That's not what God intended. God never changed that. Male and female created he them, male and female in the glory, in the image of God. Amen? Jacqueline is a person made in the image of God. And Nathan is a person made in the image of God. That's first. But he's male, she's female. And it's not to be that she's out in government leading and, and he's down you know, trying to find out what the edicts are. Men are to lead in government and in church and in the home. And thank the Lord in the church when it comes to receiving the Holy Spirit, having eternal life, praying and all of this. Praise God, there's neither male nor female. Amen? Same access, same Holy Spirit. Praise God. But in government, church, and home, there are different roles. R-O-L-E-S. Functions. And women are not preachers. Women are not deacons. Amen. And children are not to be running things. Men lead, not, quote, run. When people ask me, how many of you are running at Midcoats? I tell them, well, I'm not a cattle driver, so I'm not running anything. But we are leading sheep. And there's a difference. Amen. Your pastor leads. He's not running the church. And he's not trying to build a great church. He's just doing God's work, God's way, and you are with him. And Jesus said, I will... Build my church. So you have God's pleasure. His pleasure is revealed. His will is revealed. We see it in Scripture. We take all that applies to us, and we learn to do that in the church with our pastors, and then we recognize it's all for our good always, and anything outside of this is wicked, freakish. It's weird. I mean, honestly, you think about who God is, how good he is, how wise he is, how great he is, and he's a good God giving us good gifts and showing us the good way and to go against that, I mean, that's just boneheaded and stupid. That's just stupid. Jeff Bezos is, uh, is making billions of dollars. He's making millions of dollars every so many minutes now. If he said to you, I'd like you to come on board with me, I'll give you $10 million every six weeks if you just do what I say. Does that sound like a pretty good job offer? <laughs> just do what I say. 
And if you took that job and he starts shelling out $10 million every six weeks, and about 12 weeks into it, you start coming up with better ways to do things, isn't that kind of stupid? <laughs> kind of, you know, well, I, I just don't agree with that. I'm not doing it your way anymore, Jeff. Hey, Jeffy, wouldn't you say, if you heard someone, wouldn't you say, stop it? What are you, crazy? The guy's paying you. He's good. He's being good to you. He's being kind to you. He's being benevolent to you. He took you out of nowhere, and he puts you in this company, and when he's paying you, how much should I say? See, you're, you're really stuck on that. <laughs> Ten million every six weeks. She's already shopping. She's gone. <laughs> She's already picking out the yacht and the island home and the mountain cabin and the helicopter to go back and forth and the pilot. <laughs> yeah. You'd be going, what is your problem? He is being really good to you. Stop arguing with him. Stop calling him Jeffy. He's not Jeffy. Did the Lord create the home? Did the Lord create it for his pleasure first, for his glory? Did he create it for our good always? Is his will spelled out plainly about the home? It is. Now, I'll tell you what I'm ashamed of. It's very plain in the Bible, and yet for 21 years I've been learning it and still failing in a lot of ways, and that's pretty embarrassing because, honestly, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see what the Bible says about the home. It's not complicated. It's not a matter of information and complication. It's a matter of obedience. It's a matter of just getting back to square one and saying, okay, God, is, uh, it's all for his pleasure, for our good always, and he's a good God, and he gives good gifts. So me doing it his way honors him. It's good for me. And, it, it, I mean, what else can I say? It's good for him, and it's good for me. Woo! But... We have this flesh, and we have these ideas, and we aren't charitable often, and we have these thoughts, and we don't bring them captive to the Lord. And in real time, in real situations, oftentimes we who are Bible believers don't actually believe the Bible in real time. And so we're going to think about this a little today in Sunday school and in the afternoon service, and we're going to look at Ephesians 5, and we just want to see what the Lord says. I really I want to try to not say much today but just what the Lord says. And see God's pleasure in our good always, and God giving good gifts. God knows what he's doing. He's a good God. If God gave you a wife, guess what? That's a good gift. If the Bible's true, she's a good gift. And ladies, if the Bible's true, then the one you married, that's good for you. If the Bible's true. And you say, well, I don't know if it was in the will of God. Uh, it's the will of God now, amen? <laughs> Praise the Lord. You're married. I, just, I don't know if my parents married in the will of God, so do these verses really apply when we get to chapter 6? Yes, it is the will of God. It is the will of God. Even your sanctification, that you take what the Bible says and obey it, it's from a good God who gives good gifts, and it's for His glory and for your good always. Lord, help us look at these passages, we pray, and just do what you want to do. In our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at them. There, it amazes me there's family gurus that write these stacks of books and all. It's really, there's not a lot about it in the Bible because it's really pretty simple. Let's read it. So we start with uh, verse 22. That's where the passage begins. 
He's, he, the previous passages, he's talking about you're saved, praise the Lord, you're raised up, hallelujah. You've got pastors and teachers, you can pray as a church. You've still got the old flesh, so put, just constantly be putting it off and putting on the new and continually be yielded to the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. And 21 in chapter 4, he says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So how do I do that as a man? How do I do that as a wife, a lady could say. Children might say, how do I? That's kind of like a heading for the next passage, submitting yourselves, and it's yourselves. That self, that's such a key thing to keep emphasizing, submitting yourselves one to another. So it gets very personal, one-on-one. How do we do this? Well, for the wife, here it is. Wives, submit yourselves unto who? Your own husbands, as unto the Lord. For the husband is, notice the word is. It's a good word to circle right there is the head of the wife, even as Christ, circle, is the head of the church. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let their wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, is God good? Did God say this? Is God doing it for your good always? Is it for His glory? Okay. Husbands. Hopefully we don't have enough time to go into this. Hopefully we run out. That's how I usually feel when I preach these passages. These are not fun for me to preach. I don't know if they're fun for you to preach. It's not fun because I'm 21 years into marriage, and it's like I'm a preschooler who got put into preschool too early because his mom doesn't want him around. And I'm on Ritalin. And she sends me to school every day with Coca-Cola and Twix. And I don't sleep at night. And I've never, ever been disciplined. That's kind of where I feel. Some guy said to me, uh, you, you need to learn about leading with a limp. And I said, I'm learning about, learning to, I'm le- learning about leading on a respirator with no limbs. <laughs> That's what I'm learning to do. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, but that it should be wholly set apart to him only and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So let's look at these commands that we all know. Maybe you have this passage memorized. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. If you are given in marriage to a man, then this is for you. You're a wife, right? You've been given in marriage to a man. You have made vows. You've made commitments. You have said, I do and I will. Is that right? You've sealed it. Most likely, you've sealed it with a ring. The marriage has been consummated. You are a wife. This command, submit, that's the verb. This command is present tense. It is in the middle voice, and it is an imperative, meaning a command. So let's talk about that real quick. Present tense. Present tense means it's to be constantly done. Submit, it's just live there. Just live there. It's all the time. And the middle voice means the subject is to perform the action upon herself. In other words, 
You don't get to just constantly say, well, Lord, Lord, I want to submit, so make me. Like it's God's fault if you don't. It's middle voice. You do this. And it's imperative, meaning, obviously, it is a command. Notice it's not just be submissive or do submissive activities. Okay, I'm going to find out what his favorite color is, and I'll make sure that when I buy him a shirt, it's his favorite, because I want to submit to him. It's be, it's wives submit continually, present tense, do this, live this. Now look, at it's not just activities, it's your very self. You see, down in verse 24, excuse me, verse 22, wives submit, what's the next word? Yourselves, yourselves. If you yourself, you as a person, you and your being are in subjection, submitted, then the attitude will show that characteristically. There will be, we all sin, we all fail, hello. You're looking at a person that fails. But characteristically, you will be submissive. Your attitude will flow from that. Your words will flow from that. Your responses to your husband will flow from that. Your activity will flow from that. And that's different than saying, I'll do this submissive thing. Okay, I'm going to say this submissive thing. I'm going to have this submissive attitude. I'm going to make sure all day I have it. No, it's I am a wife. I'm going to be what I am. I am a wife. Do you see the difference in living there versus just seeing a big checklist? Okay, so a submissive wife who submits his church does to Christ will not say this, will not do this, will not. That's true, maybe. But if you're just seeing this constant checklist, you know what that is? That's a burden. And then eventually there's another part on the list. and It's like stacking up weights on your back and, and more. And Oh, and now he doesn't want me to do that. Now he wants me to say this. And eventually you just, I can't take it. Throw all the weights off. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. I need to get back to my checklist. No, it's be in subjection. Yourselves. Yourself. Don't say amen to this part. You just got married. Don't you notice none of these older guys are saying anything? Don't you notice I'm talking really humbly and quietly up? I'm not kicking and yelling. All right? Just listen. You can say amen to the next part. Submit yourselves. If that's all that our sisters in Christ got today, that'd probably be enough to really maybe change some minds and lives. Yourselves. If you yourself are in subjection, and that's what he says then, so therefore as the church is subject, so let the wives be, be to their own husbands in everything, being in subjection. If you from your very self, you as a being are, then these other things will fall into line. And you'll, you'll have an attitude and a heart, a mindset and a heart set of what, what is it that I ought to be doing as the church would do towards Christ. I'm, it's kind of like I say, I said it the other night, I am a Christian, so I need to be what I am. I am a Christian. You know what I am? I am a holy person. The Bible says so. The Bible says you are if you're saved. So be a holy person. It's not do holy, say holy. It's sure you do holy things and say and think holy things, but it's because you are holy, so be holy. And that all flows from it then. And then the reasoning is given in verse 23. So the command is real plain. Then the reasoning is in verse 23. So the Lord is reasoning with us. Come now, let us reason together. 
So wives, command, submit yourselves, present tense, middle voice, imperative, you do this. Submit your own husbands as unto the Lord, and the Lord reasons with us. For as the husband is the head of the wife. Now, you know, God could just say, do this, and never give you a reason for it. He's God. Some things he doesn't give reasons for. It's just the big reason of it's God's way, and that's it. But here he actually says, I want to reason with you. I made things this way. The husband is the head of the wife. I want you to notice that little is. That little is. That's another one of these little being verbs, isn't it? Amazar was, were, be, being, them. You remember those? The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Now, what tense is the word is? Well, it depends on what the meaning of the word is, is. You remember that? Present tense verb. It's, is. it's not that Pastor Byler was Mrs. Byler's head. You'd only say that if he died. And it's past tense. It's not he will be. He is. And he is, 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 till death us do part. Amen? Is. Present tense. All the time. Not, well, when he's out of town, things are different. No. The husband is the head of the wife. Well, when I'm out of town, things are, or when I'm, uh, maybe when the Bylers go back to visit Mrs. Bylers' parents, everything changes. Now, there is a different dynamic when you get around each other's parents. I don't believe that's bad. When we see Dana's parents, I just, I tell her, you know, when we go to your parents' house, I, I just look at it like this is his domain and he's in charge, and I trust him. I'm not worried that he's going to be like, Dana, let's go outside and smoke a cigarette together. Now, obviously, that wouldn't be good, but he's not going to do that. It's going to be good. And so the dynamic changes, but even so, if I said to Dana, we need to do this, and her dad didn't agree, he'd never say so. He wouldn't even say it. He wouldn't give his opinion. And, and if Dana was tempted to say, well, what do you think, Dad? He'd say, I think you ought to ask your husband. He's really committed to that, and that's how we have to be, amen? Because Brother Byler is the head of Amy Byler. And the wife has to realize this and see this. It's present. It's all the time. And that is, and this is what is called the indicative mood. This verb, indicative mood just means it's just the fact. It's just kind of like, duh. The wife, the husband is the head of the wife. Like, duh. Like the, the, uh, the pews are padded. The floor is wood. The sky is up there, right? It's just indicative. It, just, it's, it is what it is. The, wife, the husband is the head of the wife. Present tense, indicative mood is just the reality. So if you resist this, you're resisting reality. Now, is it multiple choice question? Is it smart or stupid to resist reality? Okay? So I don't believe in gravity. I resist it. Well, have fun with that. Go ahead and jump. You're not going up and you're not staying still. You're not going to even do like Wiley Coyote and spin for five or six seconds and then finally fall. You step up, you're going down, right? To resist reality is ridiculous. To, if I began to say, I'm a woman, I just don't want, that's, that's resisting reality, and it's going to hurt me. It's foolishness. Don't resist reality. And so you have the command, very simple, wives, submit yourselves, self, your very self, under your own husband, and you do it present tense all the time. It's a command, and you do it yourself. And, of course, it's by the grace of God. We do all things by the grace of God. And then the, the um, reasoning is your husband is your head. I mean, that's just what God said. Christ, just like Christ is my head. If I'm saved, he's my head. I mean, I can, I can sometimes want to go against his Christship. 
I can sometimes want to think another way or try to, but it doesn't change anything. He's my head. Brother Hoyle is Mrs. Hoyle's head. And so this just is the fact. And then the scope of this is given in verse 24. What is the scope? How far do you go with this? Therefore, as the church is subject, is subject, it just is, unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Would other clear scripture indicate that a wife should not disobey scripture to please her husband? Yes, of course. You don't pit scripture against scripture. Used to be a lady in our church. She was always rebelling against her husband. I mean, round the clock. But then, he was a lost man. Then every now and then, he'd say, I don't want you to go to church this night. And then she'd do the, Pastor, I've got to obey my husband. And I'd say, that's funny. You don't obey him all the 364 other days out of the year. And, and she often would say, I've got to obey God rather than men, when she wasn't obeying him on things that she could obey. And she would pit Scripture against Scripture and play games That's wicked to do that. That's actually satanic. The devil will play games like that. But obviously, subject in everything, in Colossians, Paul says, as it is fit. There could be things that are unfit. Amen. Your husband wants you to sin. You obviously don't sin. Sapphira should not have gone along with Ananias. And Peter indicates that when he gives her a chance to repent. But she stood by her man, and then she died by her man. Because she should have said, no, I have agreed with my husband to sin. And I should not have not attacked her husband. Not attacked him. You remember when the, the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? When they had to obey God rather than men, it's not a, we're not obeying you, we're obeying God. Not at all. They said, O king, live forever. They had respect of his office. But they said, we must obey God rather than men. They didn't say those words, but that was the, the mindset. Peter said that. Peter didn't say, we're not obeying you, counsel. He said, we have to obey God rather than men. So obviously there is that caveat, I think the French say, but you obey your husband and everything. So unless he's going against Scripture, obey him. Now, if I was a wife, and this was all there was here, I'd be having to say to myself, God is good. He knows what he's doing. He gets all the glories for my good always. But I, honestly, I'd be afraid. If there was nothing written to the husbands about love your wives, I'd be going, Lord, help my unbelief, because this is scary. <laughs> of course, charity thinks good, and charity hopes for the best and doesn't assume evil and all. So maybe I'd have to say, I want to be charitable, and thank you that he's got my best interest at heart and all, at heart, my husband. But God takes care of his children. You know, before Dana is my wife, I believe she's God's daughter. She's made in the image of God way before he, she was ever given to me in marriage. That's something to think about. She's God's daughter, so is God going to let me use, abuse, take advantage, et cetera, et cetera? If he does, it's going to be a short time before he's chastening and dealing with me. Amen? It'll give me space to repent, but he's going to look out for his daughter, and he looks out for his sons too. And so, ladies, God does love you. He is good. He gives good gifts. It's for his glory, and he's taking care of you, and he says, we're not stopping there, but there's a message here for husbands also. Okay, so ladies, you got yours? You got yours? Ladies can say amen. You, you got your side of it over here? It's really not complicated. It's really not hard. The flesh wants to fight. Um, the, the devil and all kinds of people want to make it complicated. And people want to say, don't you know it's t- 2018? You know, and all this foolishness. 
but it's there, it's really simple, it's be there, okay? Now, husbands, love your wives. Okay, now you can say amen. Go ahead. Amen! <laughs> say, preach it, stomp on my toes, let me have it, all right? Husbands, love your wives. If you have a wife, if you have taken a wife, you are a what? Husband. You're a genius almost. Very good. So you are a husband. You are a husband. Have you thought about the word husband? I'm going to pick on you specifically, Nathan. Husband, what's that mean? Let's think about it real quick. There, there you go. A husbandman takes care of something, keeps. Remember God gave Adam a garden, said him, and it said, take care of this garden. Maybe that was prep school for now take care of Eve. And God said, you're a husband. He was a husbandman before he ever had a wife. Now he's got a wife, keep doing what you're doing. Of course, Adam failed. He didn't keep the garden like he should have. But there's every indication that after that, he and Eve did repent and get right with God and are saved. There's every indication of that in Scripture. And so I would assume that then he did lead his wife. Hey, that lady, when she had a baby, she was saying, this is a man sent from God. She was taking that promise of the Messiah seriously. So there's a lot to be said about all that. But Adam was a husband. Husbandman. Taking care of something. So a wife is likened to a garden. Amen. A beautiful garden of roses. Amen. Something like that. Don't think barley or something. Think, think something beautiful and precious and all. Taking care of a vineyard. That's what Song of Solomon talks about. And the marriage itself in Song of Solomon is likened to a vineyard. And we've got to take care of it. We've got to keep out the little foxes that will come in and spoil the vine. Amen? Husband. If you've taken a wife, you're a husband, so you've got a command. Husbands, what? Love. So there's the verb, love. And love who? Your wives. Love. So what is the, what's the verb here? Well, it's present tense, active voice. And it's a command. It's imperative. So I've got to, I, I get to. Is it better to say I get to go to church, I get to tithe, I get to give, I get to read my Bible? I get to be a husband. That's a good gift from God. Amen? A wife is a good gift from God. And God is good. It's for His glory and for my good always. The way He set this up, it's love my wife presently, all the time, day in, day out, minute by minute, hour by hour, love my wife. I can understand that. Ah, I'm going to have to do a lot of work, though, in the Scriptures to see what loving my neighbor is. What's it mean to love someone? 1 Corinthians 13. A lot of the Old Testament really has to do with loving others, loving God and loving others. How Jesus loved his church. Study the Gospels. Look at the epistles. Jesus stays in uh, communication with his church. He communicates very clearly his will, his desires, and his love for his church. He laid down his life for his church. He says, I love you to his churches. Don't be like this guy that told Dana's dad. Dana's dad said, when's the last time you said you love her? He's having marriage counseling, and this old guy says, I told her when we got married, and if I change my mind, I'll let her know. That's not Christ-like, because you cracked this book open that he wrote to his church, and it's I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, all over the place. Amen? Amen? Prepares, sacrifices, gives, communicates. We know his plans. We know his mind. Do our wives know our mind? Does your wife know your mind? Does she know what you're doing on Monday, what you're doing on Tuesday? Does she know what you're working on? Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Does she know what you're doing? You talk. Can she talk with you? Jesus says, talk with me anytime you want. Pray anytime. Cry out to me anytime. And he, makes, he expresses himself 
clearly and all. And so there's a lot to learn about love in Scripture. But husbands, love your wife. Present and active. You do it. Active verb. Passive verb, you know, that's something being performed upon. But active is I'm doing. I am preaching. I am walking. I want you to build this house for me, and I will pay you. I want you to actively build, and I will actively pay. It's an active verb, and it's an imperative verb. It is a command. So it's from Jesus Christ, our head. Love your wife. And the reasoning and scope is given in verses 25 to 29. He gives us good reasons. Uh, the scope is, how, how far do you take this thing of loving your wife, even as Christ also loved the church and gave him himself? If we say, you know, I'm figuring out how to love my wife, so I've made a handy-dandy checklist. That could be helpful. I need to communicate more. I need to make sure she understands what I'm saying. I need to understand. I need to maybe uh, have time alone with her, you know, special times, uh, times get babysitters. I need to stay in touch with her constantly, uh, et cetera. You could make a list like that. It could be helpful, but only in as much as it's helping you be what you are from your very self from your very self. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Amen. Lord, help us to do this. And then down in verse uh, 33, every one of you in particular, so love his wife even as himself. So self. This should be our being. And... uh, And verses, the scope is in all things, in all things. So unless it contradicts the Bible, just bless and please and honor. If if Mrs. Hoyle wants to do something that would be unscriptural, it would go against wisdom, we'll say. Maybe I want this, and Brother Hoyle says, honey, if I do that, you know financially that's unwise. He's not loving her if he does it. I love her so much, I'll just find a way to do it. I'll take on more and more debt now. I'll do foolish things because I love her so it's not loving because long term it's hurting, right? It's harming. But in, a, in every way you can, give and, and say no to self and, and uh, place great value upon her and all. So I want you to remember the bride and groom relationship referenced being a picture of Christ and his church. We read it in verses 30 and 31. So there's a reference there to the church. Look at how Christ loves the church. And then I want you to remember what Adam said when Eve was brought to him. Adam said when Eve was brought to him, this is now bone, go ahead if you know it, of my bone and flesh of my flesh. I don't think he's just saying she was made from my rib. Because later, David's kinsman said to him, thou art bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. It seems to be that that became a vow of commitment saying, I'm taking you and I'm considering you as my own person. We're becoming one flesh. That became, I've read that that became a mentality and a statement among the Jews. When you made a vow, when you took took a wife to yourself and all, you'd say, you're bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Not that Dana was made from my rib, but but she is my wife given to me by her father in the will of God. And I have said, I am yours, you are mine. We're not two separate people. We are one. We are one. Amen, amen. And love as Christ loved the church. And by the way, it says in verse 30 of Hebrews, uh, or Ephesians 5, for we are members of his body. 
of his flesh and of his bones. Same idea. See, Christ really, truly actually has received us, and he's put us in his church by the water of baptism. Amen? I mean, we really are set in the church. We're not just a loose-knit group of people. We're really together, and we're really with Christ. So love as Christ loved the church. Provide, protect, nourish, feed, meet the needs of. Uh, Hey, does Christ make sure that we have the clothes we need? Yeah, robed with his righteousness. Does he make sure we stay clean? Yep. Do Do you provide, you know, hot water? Do you provide shampoo? You provide what the wife needs to feel good about herself and to make herself look nice and all that. Not that you need any help, but you know what I mean. That uh, to, to, to feel good and to, to be able to do things physically, et cetera, et cetera, health-wise, do you provide for all that? That's what Jesus does for the church. Feeds us, clothes us, makes sure that, you know, without spot and wrinkle, it's not right. If I'm up here wearing a nice suit, my wife's over here, and, and, and you know, she's got holes and stains and all, but no, it's, it's okay. You know, she's a humble lady. That's not a good thing. That's not good. Christ takes care of us. And then, and it has to do with uh, giving honor unto the wife, First Peter, as unto the weaker vessel. We've got two minutes to talk about that, so let's do it. Giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. I don't know how that's become with some men the... I don't know how they've made it like this. Yeah, she's a weaker vessel. That's the complete opposite of what Peter's saying. Giving honor unto has to do with uh, placing great value upon. It's kind of like this. Here's a vessel, right? And then there's fine china. Now, let's get really really, uh, right with it. Husband, I'm a vessel, and I'm a weak vessel. Wife is a... Another type of vessel, a weaker vessel, because more precious, more rare, more valuable, more beautiful, more sensitive, just like an oaken bucket compares to a beautiful, fine china vessel. It's not, eh, she's a weaker vessel. No, it's you give honor unto the weaker vessel. The giving honor there has a lot to do with verbally praising. What is it the... A virtuous woman does in the book of Proverbs 31. Oh, everybody knows that. What's her husband do, though? He praiseth her. What's the tense on that verb? Continual. It's not every Mother's Day he puts a card down in front of her, and on the anniversary it's he talks good about his wife because she is good. She's a good gift from God. But she ain't perfect. What's that have to do with anything? Amen. She's a blessing. She's a good gift from God. She's her husband praiseth her, her children also, amen, they rise up and call her blessed. And then in verse 32, Paul writes that the church's union with Christ, it is a great mystery. The church and Christ, there's some elements there that we don't totally understand. You see there it says, uh, this is a great mystery, verse 32, colon. That lets you know. Next he's going to explain, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And then he comes back around to real simple Nevertheless, okay, let's be real simple. We just threw out this thing about the mystery. But let's come right back to simple where we live. Let every one of you in particular so love his wife, how? Even as himself. And the wife, see that she what? Reverence her husband. That's a loaded word. You reverence God. Would you say that about God? Would you talk to God that way? Would you have that attitude about God? 
then it's safe to say it about your husband and talk to him that way and have that attitude about him. Reverence. It's not, I reverence him on Father's Day and on our anniversary and a testimony at church. It's be that, live that. And so all things are created by God for his glory. Everything he reveals to us, that's his will for us, that is all for our good. How often? Always. God gives marriage. Is marriage a good thing then? Yes. Did God give me a good gift? Yes, he did. Gave me a good gift, Dana. Gave me a good, that God gave me a good gift, Dana. And did God give you a gift, ladies? Yes, he did. So see it this way. It's a simple command for the ladies, a simple command for the men. The scope is very clear. The reasoning is very clear. It's for every particular married person in the church. It's not confusing. We just need to agree with God on it and say we get to, praise God, we get to do this. We could live like lost people, hateful and being hated, always assuming the worst, looking out for number one, living in max protect mode. Or we could live like this, and we can by the grace of God.